pray, get ready for today, we'll see, see what Jesus has for us. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for what it is. Uh, it teaches us in life. And man, we seek you today. I ask that you will uh, prepare us, that you will strap us in for uh, what it is you want to say to men and even to the women uh, that are here today as they hear what your ideals are for men. I pray that uh, we will receive these things with gratefulness and gratitude. Uh, we realize that some of these will be an encouragement. Some of these might, they might sting a bit. But boy, in all of it, you are shaping us. And so I thank you for that. So we praise you today. We look to you today to teach us in your good and perfect name. Amen. All right. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please open up to the book of Titus chapter two, though we will briefly dive into chapter one before we get on to chapter two. Now, over the next five weeks, uh, we are going to be looking at essential design. So today we're starting with men. Then next week we'll go to women. The week after that, husbands. The week after that, wives. And then finally, home and the whole home dynamic. Dynamic. So what we're wanting to see is exactly what is it that Titus and the rest of the Bible uh, says uh, to us as men and women about the very foundations of our culture, our society, our way of life, our daily functioning, right? That's really the mission before us in in all of this. And and I know, I know, as soon as we start to get into this topic, that it's going to get sticky for people at different levels because we've all been raised differently. We've been uh, kind of branded by certain segments of society. We have opinions. We have a lot of input from a lot of corners when it comes to sociology and anthropology. And man, opinions abound on what men are, what women are, what we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to do it, what's acceptable, unacceptable, and the list goes on and on and on. So there's nothing more exciting than for me to pull it all together and make perfect sense. So um, this is just going to be one of those things that we have to navigate. You know, and and there are going to be moments where you're going to be sitting there and you're going to say, amen, preach it, brother. You are, and I'm going to love that. And then there's going to be moments where you go, that dude needs to get another job. All right. That, That guy should go plant a church just out of our state. All right. So there's, there's probably going to be from you bitter and fresh from the same mouth. You will speak. All right. So, um, We will face that challenge as we go, but I believe in the end it will be a blessing and a benefit for us to wrestle with what does God say to us as men, to us as women, as husbands and wives and etc. Now, to do this, to look at essential men, and what, what we're talking about in essential men is not just men being men. All right, There are a lot of men in the world that are just being men and that doesn't do the world any good. What we're talking about is men being dudes, godly dudes, men that are shaped by Jesus, by his gospel, by his word. That's a different kind of man, right, than just a, a man being a man. Boys being boys is even worse than men being men, all right? Right? We know it. So we want to get to that essence. What is a godly dude? What does that look like? And that's going to mean that we need to do some changing and we need to be shaped, but to get into this, I think we have to kind of start with the, the, the foundational question of even how we understand gender. What is the role that gender plays? How do we look at the, the gender identity, gender crisis, gender difference, whatever you want to call it? Uh, because there are opinions. 
there are worldviews and reference points that people have. And they go, well, this is, this is how we need to see it. In fact, one that has been probably the longest enduring aspect of human history is this idea of chauvinistic hierarchy, right? Amen, right? So, chauvinistic hierarchy. And this is what human history has mostly endured through. And it's this idea that men are in charge, men are in control, men set the rules, men set the standards, they control everything. I'm surprised right now men aren't saying amen, but I'm glad you're not, because you get your butt kicked by the chick next to you. Um, and, and, and yet when you look at that particular model, uh, it is not being a man, it is not being godly, it is not being biblical, it is not being what God designed, but it prevailed. And because it prevailed for so long, it created a reaction. And rightly so. I mean, again, if we just kept in that model, there's still places in the world today that that's the model. We look at that as Westerners, and we are appalled by what we see. We know in our bones it's not right. We know when we look at the Bible, it is not proper. But it does prevail. But in our culture, there was a reaction. And the reaction was this idea of egalitarianism, and it was virtually indiscriminate, right? Some people call it feminism, but the idea of feminism was really to say, we want equality, right? But in that message of we want equality is, we want equality because men have been pigs, which doesn't sound very equal suddenly. Um, and we want equality because we frankly think we can do better than others, the men, and so the message then became this, this, this fight. Who, who's in charge? Who's in control? What is equality? What is the nature? And, and really, when we look at all of that, what we found is that we were trying to basically use human methods and means to control one another. And, and that's never going to be healthy because, again, it's just using law, it's imposing systems, and it doesn't change the heart. It's just legalism at a whole different level but that's the thing that has happened in our culture as well and so you still see it today this battle of the sexes this fight that goes on this chauvinism versus kind of this feminism problem and yet when we look at the bible right and we go all right jesus what does your word say to us how are we supposed to function i think the best way to describe that is this phrase biblical complementarianism. Now, I know already you're like, all right, when he goes four syllables or higher, that makes me mad, all right? Um, but let me describe what this is, all right? Biblical complementarianism affirms that God created men and women as equal image bearers of the Trinity. Though equal, men and women have biblically defined complementary and distinct roles, while men and women are different, there is nothing inherent in men or women that grants them either authority or submission. However, the scripture makes clear that God designed that the marriage relationship, pattern after Christ's own relationship with the church, be one in which the man and the woman each play distinct roles for the glory of God. What that affirms is equality. What that affirms is equal worth, equal value, equal importance, equal affections toward God. Neither party has any claim on certain things. Rather, God endows a design. 
And, and we say, well, then, then that's what we want to do. And here's the thing I love about this definition. It owns up to what we all know. There's this thing that happened in egalitarianism. It says, we're, we're the same. We're not the same. We are nowhere near the same. In fact, I want to bring up the next slide. This proves right here. You look at it and you just know. You just know. Chaz Bono would look at this and just know that this is right. All right? That's going to get me in trouble. All right, so. I mean, no, nobody looks at it. No, no, no. It doesn't, that, that doesn't resonate. You know? It's just not true. We know that we are different by design. And instead of trying to say we're not different by design, or instead of trying to have one design hold the other design down, what's better is to say the designs complement. They complement. God made us to complement. See, in, in this idea, it's like we're knives and forks working together in concert. Egalitarianism is just we're all sporks, which is a drag, all right? Chauvinism is we just use dirty hands. I mean, you know, so, you know, those models are not good. But to get back to this biblical idea of we are compatible, we are complementary, we serve one another in Christ for his glory by design, you know, that's the sweet spot. It's always going to be the sweet spot because from day one when we were made without sin in Eden, it was compliment. It was compliment. It was not competition. It wasn't they're exactly the same, different by design for God's glory. And so that's what we want to unearth as we go through Titus. We want to understand this compliment. In fact, if anything, I would say it this way. The solution It's not to create ideas outside of the Bible to curb abuses, but to see men and women obey the model Jesus set in the Bible so as to experience blessing. See, if we believe God's word is God's word, then we believe it's really helped us here. It's for our good, it's for our benefit, it's for his mission and kingdom, and chiefly for his glory. And so that's what we strive to unearth. And as we get into this this morning... Uh, we begin where Paul begins. We begin in a lot of ways where Genesis begins. He dives into the topic of men. Men. And and this is a great place to start because I do believe that men are thicker skull. We we need a, a little bit of reinforcement. We need to be reminded of things and taught things and come to grips with things. And so that's really what we want to do today. And we start in the place where Paul starts, and and, and I want us to understand, I want guys really to get this, because it's one of those areas that I think guys are going to struggle with, but this is the place we have to begin, and it's this idea that says, doctrine matters for dudes. Which seems weird. You might think, well, I got to get right into leadership and, you know, get into obedience. No, it really starts with doctrine. Doctrine matters. And that's where Paul takes it. He's going to say, this is going to be mission critical as you walk into this. And so back in Titus chapter 1, Paul is warning about the false teachers, right? And and so he says this, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. 
He says they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. Then he goes into verse 16. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Then he gets into chapter 2, verse 1. He says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then he's going to go into men. And, and so these are linked. Where he's going to say, there's bad, false teaching, there's right teaching that accords with doctrine, that accords with godliness, that accords with how men then should live. Right? He's going to go right down that path. And therefore, I start off by saying doctrine matters for dudes if they're going to be godly dudes. It just matters. Now, I think the reason this can be a little bit hard and, and why this is critical is kind of twofold. When we look at it, the first is this. Um, men want to be doers, right? We want to get right to business more than say, okay, well, what's, what's the doctrine? How do you know we want to get right to business more than we want the doctrine to get to business? Look at directions and how we don't follow them and don't ask for them, right? It was just Christmas. You probably had the nightmare like I have historically. If you have little kids, if you bought your sweet four-year-old a new bike with training wheels, some assembly required, right? Christmas Eve, you think it's going to take you an hour, no problem. In fact, you could do it in 45 minutes because you're going to skip the directions, right? And then it's like four in the morning, you're cussing. If Santa was to come, you would beat him up, all right? So, right, because you'd be like, you didn't follow the directions. Again, you'll drive for hours before you ask for them. Why? Because you're a doer. So when we say, well, doctrine matters, and we need to know doctrine to drive what we do, we go, ah, man, can I just get to the do? The other part that's going to make this challenging is go back to what is the key doctrine in Titus? It's grace. It's grace. And guys struggle with grace. Because chiefly, the doctrine of grace is what? Here is what has been done for you. Not, here's what you do. See, men, men we, we, we struggle with this, right? We want to be earners. We want to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We want to work for certain results. And now what we get in the gospel of Jesus Christ is, it's done for you. Well, wait, I want to do. I want to earn my way. I want to earn my keep. No, it's done for you. See, this is why Paul is going to say, make sure that doctrine drives it. Not just good advice, but good news. And see, that's the place that we as men are to live in the context of. We're going to struggle with grace because we go, first of all, it's a girl's name. All right? like how, how, how as a guy embrace a theology that's a girl's name? Well, it just is what it is. And while you're not earning and you're not doing, the reality is if you own grace, grace that transforms, grace that scrapes off the callous, sinful man and exposes the real man that you were meant to be since Eden, if you embrace that and you realize what Jesus has done for you, it creates more than just a religion. It creates more than just a set of morals to live by. It creates a profound and deep loyalty. When you realize grace has saved you, grace will change you, grace is developing you, and it was all because Christ said, I will throw myself on the grenade for you. I will take the bullet for you. I will give myself completely for you. I will take the punishment for you. When a guy gets that, it binds him to Jesus. 
But we have to get the nature of what that grace costs. And I believe when a man does, man, he is, he is indebted at a deep and profound masculine level where he wants to invest into the one that matters for him so deeply. And so what this means and what we as men have to realize as we go forward is this idea that Paul is imparted. As a man thinks, so he functions, so he acts, so he does. Doctrine drives deeds. It does. Doctrine just drives deeds, right? So if you think your doctrine is works, then you're driven by duty. If your doctrine is God is just on a throne, aloof, doesn't care, it's kind of ubiquitous in his opinions, then you'll just be sort of floating through life, making your own decisions. If you embrace grace, profound appreciation and loyalty. And so the question then becomes, what is the doctrine? What are the ideas or the thoughts that drive your actions in life? As a man, I mean, what are the things, the ideologies that you most claim? So you may say, well, Jesus, Christian doctrine. But do you? Do I? Right? I mean, because oftentimes, really, the way we know the doctrines that drive us is where do we invest our energies? Where do we invest our time? What do we get most passionate about? If it's your political views that drive more passion than doctrine, it's your political views that are your, your, your ideas that drive your life. What you say, what you do, how you think, how you interact. It's the American dream. That's going to be chiefly the doctrine that drives your actions in life. If it's a fear of God, that's going to drive you. Whatever it is. And so as men, we go, what is the doctrine that drives my actions? What it should be. What it can be. is grace. Jesus. Knowing what life is all about. That life is short and what matters is eternal, not temporal. And so if we are to succeed as men and we are to face life in fearless ways... We have to let that chief doctrine drive. And that's why Paul says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, who do you teach these things to? Well, he says, says to the aged dudes, to the older men. That's where he starts in verse 2. Teach what accords with sound doctrine to the older men. He says, we need to teach some things. And so what does he first say? And you've got to understand... Um, I'll probably get in a lot of trouble by the end of the day, but we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. So, here's the thing. He's going to give things that are encouragements, that are inspirational, but they are challenges when put in the real world. And so as he says these things, he doesn't say them uh, just, you know, pie in the sky. I mean, he really wants us as men to make the investment into these. But they will be a challenge. And so to the older men, the very first challenge that comes up is he says to the aged dudes... Don't be grumpy old jerks. That's what he says. All right? Don't be grumpy old jerks. In fact, he says it in the positive. Me being pessimistic, I put it in the negative. He says, older men are to be sober-minded. This idea of sober-minded to the whore of many an older man means to be moderate. Right there, they get horrified. Right? I'm supposed to be moderate? No. I'm an older man. That is finally my opportunity to anchor into curmudgeon right over here. Right over here. I don't have to be moderate. I'm too old to be moderate. I'm too tired to be moderate. I have opinions, right? That, that's, that's the challenge. 
That is, and again, you know, here, here's what my experiences have taught me over the course of time. With older men and older women, um, they, there's usually one of two trajectories. They grow sweeter or they grow more bitter. I mean, oddly enough. And, and, you know, I really see that. I mean, man, there are some seasoned believers and some seasoned unbelievers that are the kindest, nicest people. And after I've been with them, I'm like, I'm a dirt bag. Right? Because they're so awesome. And then there are others where you're just like, I don't know how you don't just self-combust when you wake up. You're just so negative, angry, feisty, penetrated, cruel. I mean, you drink the blood of puppies in your morning coffee. You know, it's like, you're not nice. Right? You're not nice. And, and as an older man, there's always going to be that temptation because, again, you wake up with aches and pains and you don't sleep as well as you used to and all of those kinds of things come in. And so it's easy to let the guard down and not be moderate, but just be feisty and be difficult and everything else. But Paul says, you know, that's not going to get you any mileage. It's like the role of the older man in the lives of people is not simply to be swimming with every opinion under the sun, but to be that person that exudes that sense of grace and wisdom that hears an issue, kind of turns it around, and then gives wisdom. Not just an opinion, gives wisdom. See, that's what Paul is looking for in a sober-minded man. To be conscientious of who's watching and that you do have a reservoir of life experience to give. And instead of just settling into, I'm an old dog, no new tricks, go away. Instead, you go, no, no I, I have this great chance to help others see things in a certain way. That is a sobriety of mind. It's where you give hope and not despair. It's where you help people to see more clearly the life that is before them by being optimistic even about life as opposed to pessimistic. Now, for some older men, that's an easy thing to do. For others, it's difficult. And Paul says, for the ones that find this difficult, if you follow Jesus, you need to figure out how to be a moderate, moderate and find it easier. Because I'm a complete geek after the holidays, you need to be Gandalfs, all right? That's what you need to be. What you don't want to be, Andy Rooney's. You don't want to be that, all right? So, don't be an Andy Rooney. Right now, everybody is like 30 and below is going, who? You know, but... Um, wasn't he in black and white movies? I, you know, I mean, it's like that, you know. But be a Gandalf. Be wise. Be strong. There are times where you say, this is wrong and this is right, but you give it with wisdom and even-mindedness. Right? That is the heart of a godly, aged man that exists with sober-mindedness. And so that's the first thing Paul will encourage. The second thing Paul will encourage of the aged dudes, don't be perfectly sane, crazy old men. All right? We go, I don't know what that means. Here's where we go. Be dignified, it says. What does this mean? Let's bring up the next thing after dignified. Okay, so. Doc Brown. He was sane. And a crazy old man, all right? So, had, had nothing to do with the fact that he wasn't aware, that he wasn't intelligent. He just looked crazy. Now, bring up the next one. Andy Rooney, though I made fun of him, looks good, all right? Looks good. In other words... Dignified. Dignified. And you may think, well, this isn't really that big a deal, but, but it really is. I mean, I'm realizing this in my life. I'm, I, I'm like, you know, I'm 40, 
And, and I know some people will go, well, you're young, but I'm starting to feel like I'm more in the older crowd than the younger crowd now. And I'm seeing it. There's things where I'm realizing I have to change my habits. When I was 20, I could get out of bed. My hair was crazy, but that looked cool, right? Now my hair is thinning. I got up the other morning, looked in the mirror, and honestly thought, I'm the same crazy old man right there. You know, like if I go downstairs, people would be like, oh, he must be homeless, you know? And so... I mean, honestly, it's just because your hair thins and it gets crazier and goofier and that kind of thing. And so I'm like, I actually have to, if I'm going to look respectable, brush my hair and not just do the cool straight out of bed look that a teenage boy can do. It's just gone. Hair's coming out my nostrils. It's coming out my ears. I, I have to trim that stuff or I look like the same crazy guy, right? My kids the other day were looking at me. They stopped. We're at the refrigerator. They stopped. They look at me and they're like, oh my gosh, right? I'm like, what? They're like, you have long eyebrow hairs. And they reached out, they started plucking at them. I'm like, I look like Andy Rooney now. I mean, it's like, it's just what it is. And, and so this is what I love, like, uh, is a great appreciation. I told him this the other day. My father-in-law, I said, you are a dignified man. I mean, here's a guy, he's retired. Uh, and he, yeah, every time I, I, I come in and he's watching the news or whatever. I mean, he has already shaved, his hair's brushed, he's sitting there, he's well-dressed, and, and he's just, I mean, he's not even necessarily going anyplace, right? He just has this ethic about him that says, no, when I get up, that's exactly what I do, and I keep myself in a certain way, and it's the dignity that he displays. And when an older man exhibits that kind of dignity, man, it's noticed. Versus the opposite, where you go, man, I, I don't know if that guy, if I should talk to him about anything of life profoundness because he barely looks like he's holding it together, right? And, and, and I, I know we say, well, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Uh-huh, that's cute. We do, right? We do. There's no question we do. And so this is one of those ways that godly men say, this is how I have influence is I am dignified. And I keep myself in a certain way, which I know is hard as you get older, because again, you're more tired, it's, you know, getting around, it's more, I get that, it's, it's legitimate. But Paul says, man, that's going to get you a lot of mileage, and so the aged dudes, they are dignified. The third thing, and this is tightly linked to the first thing, is to the aged dudes, avoid personality incontinence. Listen. Everything that's nice and sweet, I put together. Everything that... That was Ryan that put the... um, These young guys are not good. All right, so he says, be self-controlled, right? So the the first idea of of sober-mindedness is your attitude and perspective. Self-controlled is how you act on that. So again, you may think in your mind certain opinions and have certain attitudes and be frustrated at certain things, but then at the end of the day, you act in grace, the very thing that holds you is a believer. The very thing. See, that's that's what we want to do. Right? Especially as, as we get older, to have that self-control. Self-control for an older man is going to be different than self-control for a younger man. We'll get there in a minute. But older men still need to have that kind of self-control, to be focused in those ways, to not hold anger and to not be resentful. Because that can happen as you get older. And you can act on that. And it's not healthy. And so Paul wisely, as an older man, says, man, to the aged men, be self-controlled. 
He continues on with some other great nuggets of wisdom here. The next thing to the aged dudes, he says, live like you know you've been around the block. Live like you know you've been around the block. In other words, he says, be sound in faith. Sound in faith. Here, let me, let me put it this way. If you were an older man, you have been around the block of life many times. And going around the block of life, you've been mugged, stabbed, shot, kicked to the curb, thrown in a garbage can, run over, and you've gone around again. In other words, you have made it around time and time again, and what you know is God is in control. See, us young guys, we go around the block once, we're like, that was awful, hopefully that was the only one in life. You older guys look at us and laugh. You're like, yeah, you're right, that was the worst you're ever going to see, uh-huh. But see, because you men are, are, are resilient and, and you've been through so much, you know, you, you can exhibit that faith that says, don't, don't, I know this feels overwhelming right now, but God is a big God. I know you feel like you're losing on this one, but don't worry, your favorite phrase, you know your favorite phrase as an older man, this too shall pass. And it should be your phrase. It should be. Because again, you, you know, you've lived it, you've been there. Who's got that iPhone back there that's hitting that board? All right, so keep hearing it back behind me, too. So, um, as soon as I ask, it gets worse. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's totally it. So, you know, again, that's where it comes down to. Shane's like, is that it? <laughs> that's awesome. So, that's where, again, you know, you can bring that to the table. You totally can. We're not going to win on that, are we? See, now it's just got... Nice! Yes! Let's all pray. All right. That was awesome. All right, so, fantastic. All right, so, stout faith. You men can do it. Uh, think about how many times in, in your life you had those sleepless nights, those great anxieties. You didn't know how you were going to come through it. And now you don't even remember what those were. Right? It's got to pass. No big deal. Um, right? I mean, that's evidence of that kind of faith. And so that's what you older men bring to the table. You know you've been around the block. You remind us what that looks like. Another thing to the age dudes, Paul says, retire to retire. Retire to retire. He says, be sound in love. The idea he has here is this idea of loving others, imparting things to others. When you retire, it is your opportunity to become tired again. All right? So, retire yourself. Re-exhaust yourself. This time, because you have more time, re-exhaust yourself into things that are eternal. Right? When you were a working guy and you were making a living and raising a family, you know, again, the schedule was tough. It was tight. But now that you're retired, boy, you, you have the time, you have the opportunity to make the investment to do those things. It's fun to watch Shane still try to figure it out. So, so retire to retire. Also to the age dudes, Paul says, finish well. In fact, he really wraps this section up by saying that the older men are to be sound in steadfastness. Sound in steadfastness. This is where you as the older men need endurance. And, I, and you, you will think as younger men, 
that older men, you know, they haven't made. 65 and beyond, they get to coast, they get to enjoy their life, everything else. Uh, I don't think we as younger men realize uh, the, 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 the burden at times and the task on the older man. And so we kind of look at, oh, retirement will be awesome someday. But as an older man, there's a whole different set of challenges, right? There is time where you're able to reflect, and in that reflection, there are going to be moments where you go, you know what, I have regrets. And there are going to be moments where you say, I have disappointments. There's going to be moments where you say, I have dreams that were unmet. I wish I would have done this different. Oh, that's where I made a mistake, and it forever changed where my life was going to go. And from that, you can isolate or shut down as an older man. You can say, you know what, just nothing went as I want. And you just, you disengage. And that's what Paul says, no, 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 you must endure through that. Sure, you might feel that way. Sure, the body isn't working the way you want it to. Sure, those things are true, but you must endure. Which is so hard, I know. But endurance is key. Endurance is key also because when you look through the Bible, you will see that many of the the noted personalities of the Bible, uh, they finished, uh, or they started well and finished poorly. I mean, really, in a lot of ways, you could look at Abraham and say he finished poorly. You could look at Moses and say he finished poorly. David finished poorly. Solomon finished poorly. Anybody can start a marathon, but very few finish. Much less finish well. And so Paul tells the older men, you know what? You just need to be steadfast. It's going to be hard. It's going to be frustrating. There's going to be things that want to get in the way of that, and you just want to sit down and say, I'm done. I'm just going to be retired to myself. Paul says, no, be steadfast. And the reason that you're to be steadfast is because the aged dudes need to leave a legacy. Finish well so you can do that in particular, into the life of the young dudes of the church. In fact, in Titus chapter 2, going into verse 3 and 4, it speaks to the older women and gives a list of things that the older women are to not do and to do. And he says they are to teach what is good so that they can train the younger women too. And then they go into a list of things. Then you get into verse 6 and it says, Likewise. And, and that idea of likewise is saying, just as the older women are to teach the younger women certain things, the older men are to likewise teach the younger men certain things. That's why I'm telling you, as a at least midstream, younger, working toward older, crazy hair, hair coming out of everywhere, man, I need you older men. I, I, trust me, I know just how impetuous and stupid I am. And see, some people who know me well laugh. All right, so, thanks, Lisa Bailey. All right. <laughs> and so you leave the legacy. You make the mark. And, and here's what I mean by this. If Basically, I, I mean, this isn't a, a formula, but if, if, if you're a man, anybody that's five years below you is somebody you can invest into. So if you're 30, you can invest into a 25-year-old pretty easy. 25, you can invest into a 20-year-old. There's always ways to invest up the ladder. That's where we have the opportunity to leave the legacy. And so the older men, they are called to those things. And they're called to those things not only for themselves, but as an example to the younger. And like I said, the younger dudes, they need it. Because Paul is going to roll right into the younger men issues. And we younger men need you older men to say some things to us. And so he begins to speak to them. And so he says to the younger dudes, first and foremost, just say no to stupid. All right, every young man in this room, just say no to 
is stupid, all right? If you lock that in, it's going to be brilliant, all right? What he says is to be self-controlled. Now, for the older man, we talked about what self-control requires. When you think about self-control and the younger man, your mind goes a flurry, all right? It just does. Because we all know younger men. Younger men are impetuous. Younger men are opinionated. Younger men are horny. We know all these things. You're going, is he allowed to say that? You find a better word, I'll use it, all right? Um, what they are. I mean, all, I mean they, they all across the map. I mean, they're just, you know, they've got ideas. They've got thoughts. They do things. They can be right. I mean, it, there's no question. Insurance companies know it, all right? Police officers know it. Dads with daughters know it. We know it. I mean, I, I'm not saying anything you don't know. Maybe some of the words you don't like, but they're true. They're true. Now, I love younger men, but I know the challenge we have as younger men. Right? And the younger we are, the more challenge that there is, the more things that we face. I mean, when I think about a young man, maybe 12 to 25, I have an image in my head that's very simple. On one shoulder is a little mini Adam Sandler, right? And he's giving advice. And on the other side is just whatever buddy's in the passenger seat. Which isn't much better, right? So I have a very simple philosophy, which is stupid is as stupid does in young men exponentially, all right? So... You take this, and I need to give you a formula. Hopefully, you will track with the formula. Uh, we'll bring it up here on the screen. We take one young man, all right? And that young man has an IQ of 98, all right? Now, you take another young man, and you add him with that young man right there, and you would assume that the two, they multiply their IQ, let's say they each have 98, for a total of 196. That's not how it works. <laughs> Actually, how it works is you take the first IQ of 98, you divide it by two. <laughs> For a collective... Uh, so you have a collective IQ of 49, all right? Now you add a third, buddy, divides by three. You're down to 32.6. Now, the only thing that can make this scenario possibly worse is you add a female. And you add the female to this equation, and the collective IQ is a negative 17. So, here's the problem. One part of you is offended. The other part of you knows it's totally true, all right? And so, young men all the more need to be self-controlled. All the more. Here's the great thing about the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace says you have what is necessary to be self-controlled. You are more than a conqueror if you are a young man. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be simple. It doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted. And it doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. That's going to happen. But to be a truly wise and godly young man, you get ahead of that and you go, then I need to make sure I live in the context of grace and I want to make sure that I put in my life people who can hold me accountable and I want to make sure that I make intentional decisions about life so I don't do things that have long-standing consequence. To, to, to be a young man in, in this culture is no different than any other culture. It's difficult. Because there's always going to be temptation. There's always going to be moments where you go, hey guys, watch this, light me on fire, and I'm going to ride my bike into the pond. There's going to be the temptation. 
My thing is, just film it, all right? I mean, get something out of it. You might get $100,000 in America's Funniest Home Videos that help your skin grafts, all right? So just, no, that's bad advice. That's All right, so, my bad. All right, here's the deal. Great quote I came across it this week. Maturity doesn't come with age. It comes with acceptance of responsibility. Maturity doesn't come with age. It comes with acceptance of responsibility. Young men, as self-controlled men, are to accept responsibility. Responsibility. In fact, Paul says it this way to Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. It's the theme verse for junior high ministry, why it's called 412. And I think it's so fitting for young men especially to go, yes, that's the way I want to live. I mean, those young men, they stand out. You know they stand out. And so that's how you want to live. So young men, they go, yeah, I I want to be self-controlled. I want to say no to doing stupid things and living in stupid ways and, and functioning in ways that just aren't going to bring glory to God or health to my life. So keep on. The next thing I have to bring up, one of my most treasured possessions. We can bring up this next slide. Ah, I got two treasured possessions. These are my daughters. I love my daughters. I enjoy my daughters. I protect my daughters. I have opinions about my daughters. And one of the big opinions that you must know about my daughters, go ahead and bring up that next thing, is this. To the young dudes, I will only give my daughters to good men, not good guys. I will only give my daughters to good men, not good guys. What is the difference between a good man and a good guy? Bring up the next slide. Good guys. The guy laying on the couch, eating spaghetti with no fork, playing video games. I think he's probably a good guy. I really do. The dude's playing beer pong. I'm sure they're good guys. Flavor Flav. Good guy. But a good man works hard. Good man loves Jesus. Good man protects his family. Think about how we use the phrase. We'll say, oh man, that guy's a good guy. Versus, that guy's a good man. I mean, we know that there is weight to the phrase good man. Versus a good guy. Paul says to the young men, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. To make a model literally means to make an impression. Young men, you will always leave an impression. The question is, what impression do you leave? You always will. There are good impressions and bad impressions, and that is your decision to make. See, when Paul says, make a good impression, leave a good impression, be about good impression, he's saying be focused, be self-determined, be uh, disciplined in life. Work hard, do right things, and do it for the glory of God. That's what he says. And that's the impression you want to make. I know as a father with daughters, that's, that's really where I'm going to be looking. I'm not going to care whether the guy digs ditches or writes software or you know, helps the homeless in some kind of ministry. I, that's not going to matter to me as much as why he does it and that he does whatever he does with all his might. And I'll say... That's a good man. Right? More than just, hey, you're funny and witty and clever and everybody seems to like you. Those are great features if it's tethered to a good man. And so I will only give my daughters to good men, not good guys. 
and a good man for the glory of God by the grace of God. So the young men know what they are to do. Paul goes on to say to the young dudes, know what you're talking about and act like you believe it. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. See, it's easy for young men to think they know everything. How do I know? I was a young man, all right? Um, I remember when I was a teenager, oh man, I knew everything. I needed to move out and change the world is what I needed to do. When I was 15, everybody was an idiot around me, right? Because I was 15, I knew everything. Right? That's what happens with younger men. Then I went into my 20s, and I remember I was married and everything else, and I knew exactly how to parent. All these people with kids, idiots. I didn't have them yet, but when I did, I would show them all. Right? Because I was a young man. And, and that's what young men do. It's very easy to speak in theory, and it's very easy to shoot from the hip, even though we've never researched a thing and never lived in the real world. And so that's where young men will do well to say, no, no, I, I want to be thoughtful. And in my teaching, I want to show integrity, dignity, and all these things. I, I, I want to, to be that, and I need to be that. Because it's beneficial and it's right. I want to be sensitive, and I want to learn, and therefore I want to speak with right authority, with thoughtfulness and follow-through. I think also sometimes for young men, it's easy to, to say what they believe, but not always follow through on what they believe. I mean, I, I, I think it's easy just to, you know, like I, I think of a friend of mine in high school, he was the vice president of our Christian club, and he was the big advocate for abstinence until he had uh, his girlfriend end up pregnant. You know, and he was the big advocate, and we all need to do this. I'm like, yeah, starting with you, bro. I mean, you know, like, you would be the first place maybe to actually follow through. And so as young men, we want to follow through with what we believe and know why we believe it. And then last. Paul says to the young dudes, let your life be your smack talk. Let your life be your smack talk. So he says, in, in your teaching, always show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent, an opponent, there you go, uh, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Here's the deal, young man. If, if, if you're going to be a godly man, um, godly men invite enemies. In fact, the more godly you are, the more enemies you may have. That's the weird thing. But Jesus warned that. He says, man, you try to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. It's a matter of fact to you. And, and, and so from that, you're going to have critics, you're going to have enemies, you're going to have people that say a lot of things about you, and here's the deal. Make them lie. Make them lie. Live in such a way that when you have an enemy or a critic, you force them to spin you force them to use innuendo. You force them to lie about you because they can't find anything truly scandalous about you. In fact, that should be true to all men, older and younger, that we live in such a way that our critics have to dig around for lies to get what they want. And then as they do that, everybody watches them lie and they see right through it. Everybody goes, oh yeah, that's clear. They're just making stuff up because we, we know that guy. That's not him. They're just saying it to get him. I mean, this is what happened with Jesus, right? Jesus was perfect, and so his critics lied, innuendo, spin. Same with Paul. Same with many godly men. What it means is young men don't give a reason. 
Just don't give a reason. And as people make things up about you, others will see through it, and in the end, it is shame to your opponents. They shame themselves by their agenda. See, that's the heart of all of this. And so I want to close with a quote that I came across this week by Bill Hybels that I just appreciated as far as what God wants for men. Uh, we'll be looking at husbands, so there's a lot more that we need to look at when it comes to men, but I want to close with this. He says, God wants men to be free. Free to demonstrate toughness when a situation or relationship demands it. Free to display grit, strength, commitment, and decisiveness under the Holy Spirit's direction. God also wants men to be free to demonstrate tenderness, sensitivity, and humility. Free to be vulnerable enough to foster intimacy and to shed tears. Authentic masculinity produces a divine elasticity in men. Finally, they can lead with firmness, then submit with humility. They can challenge with a cutting edge, then encourage with enthusiasm. They can fight aggressively for a just cause, then moments later weep over suffering. Secure, free, authentic men leave a mark on their colleagues, their friends, their wives, and especially their children. Don't be a man. I'm not asking anybody to be a man. I don't think Paul is asking anybody to be a man. What he's asking is that we would be godly men. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for these reminders, reminders and that we were able to laugh at, but reminders that we also know we have to take to our city, to our home, to our lives, to our thoughts, to our actions. May we be those men that you desire. Not men being men, but men striving to be godly men. Dudes that you have made new. We are made new by your grace. We don't want to just act new. We want to be made new. So guide us and show us those things. For your name, for your glory, for your fame. We ask these things in your name.